Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Today we have a special guest, a friend of ours, and uh, I'm, some of you guys, he's not going to need an introduction. For others of you guys, he might need a little bit of an introduction, and so Kim May uh, ha- is going to be preaching today, and he pastored for, what, 10 years or so before starting Liberty Christian Fellowship here across town, and pastored that, started that, pastored that for 30, 30 years, and then retired, and now is a member of our church here at Journey Church, and so we are so honored to hear Pastor Kim May speak, and I just believe it's, a, it's, an, it's just appropriate today for us to honor all that Kim and Bev have sowed into this city. Can we just honor them with a real good round of applause and thank you. Kim, come on up here. Good morning. Well, as I prayed about this opportunity, I believe the Lord gave me a, a very specific message for us today, and it's entitled Planned Neglect. Uh, admittedly, it's one of my favorite phrases. But before I begin to share what planned neglect really means, I want to talk for a few moments about what it doesn't mean. And um, the best way to talk about that is to uh, tell you a little bit about my family. Bev and I have um, three children, and we have three grandchildren with a fourth on the way. And one of our grandchildren is our three-year-old Elliot, who um, doesn't want to sleep at bedtime. Anybody have one of those ever? Uh, well, <laughs> 8 o'clock, no sleep, 8.30, no sleep, 9 o'clock, no sleep, 9.30, no sleep, 10 o'clock, no, it just like goes on and on and on. We have a picture of uh, Elliot. Uh, we go back to the first one, if you would. Yeah, there's Elliot on the right. Yeah, you're right. Big brother Calvin, five years old on the left. And so whenever we put him to bed, he, he wants to interact with us. He doesn't want to sleep. He wants to hold our hand. He wants to put his arm around us. He wants our arm around him. He wants to get up and, and uh, turn on the lights again, uh, go to the bathroom again, uh, laugh while he's doing all of this. He wants to wash his hands again, which is good. He wants to lay on the floor. He wants to sing, and then he wants to hum, and he's just not done. So, um, you know, and he's got all these stuffed animals that he talks to, and he talks to us about them and tells us about them. And here we have a picture of him that um, this is uh, the animal's got a really good night's rest. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure when he conked out. His parents don't know. Nobody knows. Um, but that's, um, that's uh, kind of leads into, uh, you know, when he comes over to our house and we put him down, it's the same thing happens. He pulls out all his tricks. And so uh, one night he was uh, pulling out all his tricks, and I said, okay, Elliot, this is it. This is, this is it. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you. You're going to lay your head on the pillow. You're going to close your eyes, and you're going to go to sleep. Right? He looks up to me with his adorable face, and he says, but Papa, you can't pray for me now. And I'm like looking for some theological answer to a three-year-old. And I said, 
well, why not? And he says, because I'm not done talking to you. <laughs> okay, that's not planned neglect. I mean, he does have, a, you know, he's maneuvering us, he's controlling us, he's, you know, he's in charge. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about maneuvering people or avoiding responsibility. Planned neglect is embracing responsibilities. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and righteousness and all these things. In other words, whatever you need will be added unto you. What is he saying there? Very simply, he's saying, seek first my rule in your life. Plan to neglect everything unrelated to my kingdom, unrelated to my lordship in your heart. And Jesus modeled this consistently. Uh, one day, for example, uh, I think, think it really fits, uh, you know, our cultural experience. Uh, everything was going on. People were running to and fro. It says in Mark 6, 31, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have time to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Uh, you know, in our culture, we need to be saying that more. Come, come with me. Let's get some rest. Now, Jesus could have carried the longest to-do list in the history of the world, right? I mean, he had a mission. But he didn't have this uh, unrealistic, long to-do list. Why not? Because he had a to-don't list. He had a to-don't list. There were things that he was not going to do. He said, here in this situation, we don't even have time to eat. Let's, let's pull back here. Let's retune to the Father's voice. Let's see what God is up to. And let's stop the chaos that's starting to arise here. Let's lower the stress level if you read on in Mark chapter 6, it's really interesting in this uh, particular day because his rest time was interrupted. More people started to come. But then it says, he went up on the side of a mountain. He retreated and he prayed. He would not let the people have power over him to pull him away from his number one responsibility. To be in the Father's presence. As God in human flesh, Jesus, I mean, isn't it amazing that he submitted himself to time and space? When we think about Christmas, Jesus came into our time and space. It's mind-boggling. And he did great things, but he didn't do all the things people expected. You know, one day he went to the pool of Bethesda. Remember that? And there was a man lying there, an invalid, and he healed him. That must have been on his to-do list. But what about all the other people that were lying around that pool? I don't understand it all. But seemingly, there was one person that he was called to to heal that day. What about the fact that he preached in some villages and he didn't preach in others? How do we explain that? How did he know what to navigate and what to neglect? 
That's a key question. And our answer is found, and um, we don't have time to read it all, in John chapter 5 and John chapter 8, but I'm going to summarize those passages for you because um, the answer is very, very simple. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own initiative, but only what I hear the Father saying and see the Father doing. He was caught up in the Father's purpose. I do only what I hear the Father saying and see the Father doing. Jesus neglected his own will for the Father's will, setting the model for us to constantly tune in. Plan neglect is hearing and seeing and doing God's will while deferring our own. There's so many things that we want to do. There's so many things that we want to get done. There's so many things on our schedule. But is that God's will? I really think that hearing and seeing and doing God's will is the key to success. The key to fruitfulness. The key to a full life. The key to the extraordinary life that God has for each one of us. But there may be hindrances in our way, as Hebrews tells us, to lay aside every hindrance. I remember putting this to practice um, when um, I was in graduate school in California. And, you know, it's always beautiful in Southern California. It never rains. It's, you know, it's just phenomenal. And so uh, it was a perfect place to go to graduate school. And so um, I remember, um, you know, Bev was working pretty much putting me through school. And uh, we didn't see each other much in the daytime. I was uh, carrying a full academic load. I was working 20 hours a week um, at a a church um, right near Pasadena where I was going to school. And, uh, you know, I I just had a lot on my plate. And we were only married for about one year at that time. So um, I remember all the guys hanging out, you know, outside where it never rains in California, (laughs) And having a great time talking about theology, which I love to do. And talking about baseball, which I love to do. And, you know, great conversations and so on. And I did some of those. But, you know, I got to the point where I said, I've got, I've got to limit this. I need to draw some boundaries. I've got theological papers to write. I have reading assignments that were, went on ad nauseum. <laughs> I had uh, all kinds of things to do, and so I made a decision. I made a decision, you know, that I would hang out a little bit over lunch hour or whatever, but I was going to go in between classes, between every class, I would be in the library. And I would be doing these papers and research and writings and, and readings. Because I had a wife of one year, and we needed to spend time together. I had an education that was important to my future, And I had a ministry in this church. And so I planned to neglect the things that were unrelated to the major things in my life. I'll tell you what, it paid huge dividends. Bev and I had a great year there together. Uh, The ministry that I was in, we were able to lead a lot of people to the Lord. It was was just, someday I'll tell you about that possibly. And... um, and my grades peaked higher than ever before. Not that they were great in undergrad school, but 
Anyway, they were, they were good in grad school. Now, I, you know, I played some tennis and I watched some TV. You know, I wasn't just this, this uh, monk, you know. Um, I wasn't a hermit. But at the same time, um, I planned to neglect good things for God things. Your marriage is a God thing. Your family is a God thing. If God has placed you in, in to, to get into a certain school, then that, that's a God thing. You need to trade in the lesser for the greater, the kingdom of God, the things that belong to the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So plan neglect is majoring on the majors, not the minors. You're going to hear a number of my mantras in this message today uh, that I like to, to pull out for my own life and also to share uh, with others as is appropriate. Concerning this um, majoring on the majors, not the minors, I, I just love the story, and um, I've told it before, but uh, not here, so here we go. Uh, it's about Colonel William Post, who was um, a big uh, military guy in Desert Storm, and um, he had tremendous responsibility, but one day he uh, received an urgent fax from headquarters that said, we are missing 400 cases of jelly that's not accounted for in your records. That's what I thought. <laughs> what? So a private looked for the jelly and didn't find it. So then came a second, more urgent fax to Colonel Post. We are coming to the end of the month. Where is the jelly? <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous, right? And then he just completely disregarded that. And then a third fax came demanding, where is the jelly? Colonel Post responded, look, I can find the jelly or I can kick Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. Which do you prefer? <laughs> I can't do both. I can't do both. You know what? Sometimes we think that we can do everything. And it's just as ridiculous as this story. We're looking after the jelly when there's kingdom things in front of us. Let me give you an example of plan neglect from the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories, partly because it was the story, the scripture um, through which, coupled with prayer, of course, that God called us to start a church from scratch 30 years ago that uh, Pastor Sean mentioned. And it's the story of Abram. And uh, I'll give you the short version. Uh, God spoke to him and said, or Abraham, said, go to the land I will show you. What? Go to the land I will show you. Well, he went, it says in Hebrews 11 eight, which is take, you know, um, from Genesis. He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Have you ever been in that spot? It's not really a bad spot. Plan neglect is, is much more than just crossing off a couple of things on your schedule or your priority list. Plan neglect is neglecting the human desire to understand God's will before you obey God's will. And I just got to stop for a second because I, I think it's appropriate 
that uh, I just want to say that I, I believe that Pastor Sean is, is living that way as your leader. And I have to admit, I was a little, I had a little question mark one day when, when he said, uh, you know, I don't know what we're going to do for the future of, you know, accommodating people here and so forth, uh, but we're going to move ahead even though we don't know. And my first inclination was, what? Wait a second. And then I had to stop and get on the track that he was on. And that's the track that planned neglect is neglecting the human desire to understand God's will before we obey God's will. Pastor Sean is doing that. He's obeying God's will even though he doesn't understand how God is going to accommodate the people that are that God, you know, the Lord's bringing here. You understand that, right? Now, just imagine if, um, you know, put yourself in the place of Abraham, Abraham, and God said to you, I want you to go over to I-35 and go to the town I'll show you. Well, my first inclination would be, what town? <laughs> Do I go south? There's a lot of south on 35. There's a lot of north on 35. You might not know which way to go until you get over onto I-35. See, this is human nature wants to know the second step before we obey the first step. We want it mapped out in entirety. God is not so interested in that because he wants us to live by faith, not by sight. Obey the first step, revelation will likely follow and give you the second step. And that second step is often in the form of planned neglect. Neglecting your will, your understanding, your cognitive ability to grasp God and his purposes and walking it out to whatever degree he's already shown you. What a freedom. What a freedom that God gives us. You know, sometimes we might think, oh, man, he's really being hard on me, asking me to do, do something I don't really understand. But that's a freedom. That's a freedom for us to step out in faith and not walk purely by sight. Now, as I prepare this message today, I really believe that God wants to uh, free a number of people, free from the bondage of self-initiative of doing what we think is best in contrast to what God thinks is best. Let me give you a, 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 an example, a story that, that really illustrates um, this. Uh, there's a, uh, a magazine that did, um, this is all written up if you want to know if it's uh, real. There's a magazine that did a, a, a study on families. And uh, they asked some children, if you had one wish to change one thing about your mom or your dad, what would it be? And then they asked the parents to predict what would your child's response look like. Interesting. Only 2% of the parents accurately predicted their child's response. The predominant answer was this, 
I wish dad wasn't tired all the time. I wish mom wasn't tired all the time. What a commentary. What a commentary on life in America. The old, I mean, parents somehow are missing the boat here. They're either uh, unaware or just simply in denial of the way their overloaded schedules are affecting their children. Would you stop and ask a question like that to your children? And they might not be able to give the greatest answer depending upon their age, but it might be a good one to try sometime, a family devotional night. If you could change one thing. See, this proves that the old adage is true. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If you're bad, you can't, you can't trade in the, the good things for God things. I mean, you can, but you're stuck in the bad. And if you're too busy, you're too busy to see the God things. You're not tuned into the Father's voice and seeing his purpose for your life. Busyness is a sign of the need for more planned neglect. I love the story in 2007, a violinist was placed in a social psychology experiment in Washington, D.C., and was uh, put out on a street uh, to play his violin for an hour. And he laid his hat down there, you know, for tips to look, you know, extremely genuine and so forth, like musicians do down at the plaza or whatever, whether they're genuine or not, I have no idea. Um, and about 2,000 people passed by him in one hour of playing the violin. After seven minutes, he received $1 in tips by a woman who didn't stop to listen. After about um, 45 minutes, just six people had stopped for roughly a minute. <laughs> Occasionally, a child would stop and start to listen and take in this beautiful music but then the parent would hurry them along. The violinist collected $32 in his hat, and when he was done, he packed up his violin. No one noticed. No one applauded. He left with the $32, and the hustle and bustle took over. The violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world, playing on a violin worth $3.5 million. He was playing classical pieces by Bach, and the night before, he sold out a theater playing the very same pieces of music for 100 bucks a ticket. The conclusion is pretty obvious. People are too busy. They rush here and there doing good things and missing the great things, the beautiful things, the sounds that are calling them. They're not listening. They're not stopping. Adopt the lesson of planned neglect. I'm going to give you a few tips. I'm going to give you a few tips 
And then I'll bring this home. First of all, work smarter, not harder. Proverbs puts it like this. Have the wisdom to show restraint. A concert violinist at Carnegie Hall was asked, how did you become so skilled? She said two words, plan neglect. I plan to neglect everything unrelated to my goal. She worked smarter, not harder. Second, don't hurry, God isn't. It's not good to be hasty and missed away, Proverbs 19.2. How many times have you rushed through an article or rushed through even maybe an email and then you had to go back and reread it? You were rushing, like I do sometimes, to try to gain on time. And actually, when we rush, we waste time because it's the law of diminishing returns. Don't hurry. God is not. And third, practice the Sabbath. Six days you shall labor, but the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. These are just three practical things that you can kind of put around like, like a fence in your backyard to keep bad things out and good things in. The Sabbath is a day to rest and to recalibrate what is major and what is minor. It's time to reflect. It's time to worship here. It's time to go home and think about life and, and talk to your kids and, and, you know, keep the vantage point of the kingdom of God. Our son was in ninth grade when he took up tennis seriously. And lo and behold, uh, he had college scholarships uh, to play tennis and ended up playing out in Indiana um, for four years. And, uh, you know, he had to play outstanding players to become an outstanding player. So he had to do more things than just play high school tennis because there were some outstanding players, but only a few. So he played in tournaments, and he signed up for these, and uh, some of these were on his Sabbath, Sunday, which was not my Sabbath, because as a pastor, that was the only day I worked, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, <laughs> Pastor Sean works more than I did. I just want you to know. Okay. So, uh, you know, I look at the schedule. They're all weekends. Uh, this was not good. So, when he was scheduled to play on a Sunday, and if he advanced through the tournament and was playing on Sunday, I would call and say, okay, Sunday is, is not a day that, you know, and I would get into this interesting conversation. Uh, he, he cannot play during church time. He cannot play during youth, youth group time and so forth. We were not perfect in handling all this. It was, it was uh, delicate. But at the same time, we drew some strong boundaries. And why? Because the number one deterrent to a healthy family life is kids' over-involvement in activities, especially sports. I'm, I'm not, you know... I could try to be nicer in the way I said that, but, it, you know, I just have to say it. Because, I mean, we went through that. We had to walk fine line. It was, it was difficult. We only went to two out-of-town out of tournaments in, in four years when other people were going, you know. Um, it's just the way it is, friends. We can't follow the way of the world. And their way is busyness. It is busyness. Families need planned neglect. You need to draw those boundaries. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves complicated. Ecclesiastes 7.29. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves complicated. I'm developing a really deep allergy over the years to complication. 
It really bugs me. I haven't broken out in the hives yet, but I don't like it. I want simplicity. So what, what does plan neglect look like for you? On the one hand, it may be, okay, less TV, less shopping, less social media. I know it does mean less social media. <laughs> uh, less hobbies, less home projects, whatever. But on the other side of the coin, look what happens. More peace, more joy, more time alone with God, more time with your kids, more time reading the scripture, more ministry, more friendships, more time for small group. You see what you get? You get God things when you trade in some of the good things. William James said, the art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook. Hmm. Plain neglect. You know, as we anticipate Christmas um, next week, remember Jesus left heaven and the full glory of fellowship with the Father and the Spirit in heaven. He planned to neglect his full glory for us to come and to die eventually on a cross for our salvation. Now the question is, what are we going to neglect for him? I'm not calling you just to rearrange your schedule. I'm calling you to a heart change. Because we can rearrange our schedule and it'll be like New Year's resolutions that don't last. So I'm calling you to come today and let the Holy Spirit take that whole mentality, that whole heart thing that feels like we must and then we're driven by it. Romans 12 says, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's what I'm calling you to, to be a living sacrifice where you are no longer living according to the culture. And when people look at you, they don't see the world, they see the kingdom. So who needs a heart change for planned neglect. Who wants more peace and less pace? Who wants more consecration and less complication? Who wants more to be driven by the Spirit and not driven by the flesh? Who wants more simplicity and less complexity? I do. How about you? I'm going to ask you, if, if you're saying yes in your heart to this, I'm just going to ask you to, to, to stand as the worship team comes up. To stand and let me pray for you. If you've got this down, you don't need to stand. But if you want change in your heart that's long-lasting, and I realize this has got to be worked out. It's got to be worked out. It's not just going to happen I just want to pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon each one of us. Father, you're so good. Your grace is so marvelous. You've called us to yourself first. 
and foremost. And everything else is secondary. So I pray for me. I pray for the leaders of this church. I pray for every person standing here. I pray, God, that you would do a transforming work in our heart right now. Lord, we, we turn over our heart. We repent of our busyness. Forgive us for majoring on the minors. Lord, we trade in the good things for the God things. We love you, Lord. Bring that, that sense of peace and contentment that comes from a simple, humble heart. Now, Lord, don't let us run from here trying to figure everything out in the next 15 minutes. Help us to stay in this place where your Holy Spirit is supervising and taking jurisdiction over our heart. And we're just resting. And then we'll know what to do and what not to do. We praise you in Christ's name. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.